Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. My name is Jeffrey Zakarian, and you're listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian from iHeartRadio. In Four Courses, I'll be taking you along for the ride while I talk with the top talent of our time. In each conversation, I focus on four different areas for my guests' life and career. And during those four courses, I'm going to dig deep and uncover new insights and inspirations that we can all use to fuel ourselves to push forward. My guest for this episode is an expert in the economics of estate sales. He went from a one-time guest on The Oprah Winfrey Show to becoming the show's design expert for the next 12 years. And finally, he is one of the most sought-after interior designers in the country. Without further delay, please enjoy my insightful and inspiring conversation with Nate Burkus. Nate. Yes, sir. How are you? (laughs) How are you? I'm great. Very nice to see you. I haven't spoken to you in such a long time. I, I, I think it's way too long. I'm sorry. I take total responsibility. No, but please. I, wanted- I think everybody gets a free pass. It's what I've said to my mother, <laughs> at least during the pandemic. So, <laughs> I, I know the pandemic is a good excuse. What are we going to do when the pandemic's over? I mean, I don't want to see anybody. I'm so excited. I, <laughs> I like. I, I haven't made a plan in a year and a half. It feels great. I, I read as much as I could about you. My gut said to me that I felt really strongly that you have this sense of always being older, even from as a childhood. You seem like an old soul. Is that true? Definitely. I've always considered my, myself an old soul as soon as I had any emotional IQ to be able to, <laughs> you know, kind of assess myself. But I, I married an old soul and I have two children who are old souls. 
And there is a distinction. There's something sort of behind the eyes. There's something that sense of I've done this before. I've, I've had this conversation before. I've, I've, I've survived this before. I've triumphed before. And you can see it in certain people. You see it almost instantly. For my first course with Nate, we hear a story from his childhood that proves he was an old soul at a young age. We're designing with your mom is a, a gift, a bar mitzvah gift to do your own room in your basement. Yeah. That's not what most kids going to be teenagers do. But what was it that your mother said or did or provided that gave you such clarity of purpose in that way at that age? I mean, that's a very big deal. That's like jumping into the kitchen and making souffles the first time you've cooked. I think for her, she was cognizant from a very early age that spatially I was very sensitive, that I was Mm. very alert to my environment. And she being a designer my whole childhood, that environment changed very frequently. And I, again, was entitled to have an opinion, even as a child. And my mother used to wake me up as a little kid to help her rearrange the fireplace mantle in the family room. And I'd be standing there in like my little pajamas and she'd say, something doesn't look right. Don't you think something doesn't look right? And it would be like, you know, 9.30 at night and I'd be like all sleepy with a bear. And I'd say, yeah, I think, I think you need two of those vases to balance it out or something. So, you know, it was a dialogue for me. It was a dialogue that was welcomed. It was a dialogue that was honored, I guess, if you will. And, and I think that that really gave me a tremendous amount of confidence and, and the giving me my room for my bar mitzvah. She wanted me to have my own space. And I think what that, what, what I interpreted that to mean and what it actually ended up meaning for me was that as much as I loved going to garage sales and going to antique malls and things like that with my mother growing up, I didn't have a place to bring anything home to. There wasn't any space that I could call my own. And so what it did was it actually opened up the opportunity for me to become a collector, even at 11 or 12 or 13, because I had a home for the things that were interesting to me. And I've spent the greater part of 25 years connecting people to their homes and to their interiors by saying over and over, the way we tell our stories is is what we allow into our homes, what we allow to cross mm-hmm. the threshold, whether that's color or pattern or style or a lot of things or a few well-chosen things. It, it speaks volume about where we are in our lives. And I knew that at 13 because of that gift. I, I had that sense of, of pride or, I, you know, you walk a little taller when you like your home. You, your kids do a little bit better with homework when they have a neat, organized space. Your life isn't as out of control when you know where to find everything in your home or when you've you know, just finished spring cleaning and you've got options around what you want to do with your time instead of being behind the eight ball with home organization and cleaning all the time. And so you know, I've noticed over the last 25 years, and I've paid attention to what it really means for people to have an environment that rises up to greet them. And what my mother gave me at 13 years old was an environment that I could choose how to make it rise to greet me at that young age. And it was a massive, massive, I cannot underplay the importance of that gift. Also, your opinion mattered. I mean, to give a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old the ability for opinion to matter is very big. Huge. It's not just... 
it's not just saying uh, you matter. Right. Because, of course, you matter. But it's right. your opinion that matters. And to act on that opinion, it's such a hard thing to give a child. But at that age, your mother did that so well. It's even harder not only to give the kid an opinion, but write a check for their opinion, which she also did. I got to pick the wallpaper. Well, somebody had to put that wallpaper in. And, yep. you know, that order had to go in. So my mother really didn't balk even though she didn't agree with me on every decision, she really let me run with it for the most part. You know, I don't know how many friends you had back then in the design world at 13, but what did your other friends that you were hanging around think of you? Like, you know, they're out doing whatever they're doing. You're downstairs measuring the walls. Yeah, what did that's, they a great, think? that's a great question. So years ago, Mitchell Gold, the furniture maker who has yes. shops all over the country, Mitchell Gold assembled a book called Crisis. And he asked successful gay people to write a chapter in that book about their coming out story. And the chapter that I wrote very briefly, the, the point of it was that at a very young age, when you're growing up and you know you're gay or you think you're gay, you have to lie. You're taught to lie. And lying is really, really important because it's, you know, what your interests are, whether you want to go out for the t-ball team or would you rather be playing with Jennifer's Barbie Corvette that she just got for Christmas? You know, how are you walking? How are you talking? What are you wearing? What's your hair like? So for me, you know, it's funny you ask a very simple question, but the foundation behind that was that I wasn't comfortable as a kid expressing how exciting decorating and design was mm -hmm. because I wasn't out and I didn't want to be mm -hmm. out. And, you know, I was on the bar and bat mitzvah circuit. We were all like fooling around with each other in the basement of synagogues around Minneapolis. So it wasn't, you know, there was a lot of glamour going on. I hope you can feel that, you know, <laughs> I, hope you, hope you, I hope I'm setting the scene. It's very great Gatsby in oh, the basement the of Temple Shevitz Israel. Is right on the shelf there. I get it. A hundred percent. So, you know, I had to really keep my enthusiasm and my excitement for it, not tampered down, but just, you know, it's not what kids want to talk about. And I understood that. And I was conscious enough to know that it wasn't going to be a topic that would excite the entire lunchroom. You know, conversely, I had, you know, obviously a handful of very good friends, which I was lucky to have and many I'm still friends with. But and they refused to sleep over after I finally moved into my own bedroom because I'd say to them, just pick up the side of the bed. I want to see what it looks like on this side or, you know, help me glue this thing to the ceiling. And they were like, we want to like watch movies and eat popcorn and, you know, tell ghost stories and go to sleep. And you're asking us to try and like change the draperies. Like don't ever <laughs> sleep at Nate's house. It's not fun. It's, it's work. This is like the kind of stuff my mom would ask me to help her with on a Sunday. You couldn't help yourself, it sounds like. I mean, this is what you, who you are. Yeah, you are a completely. creator of a, a better vision of what people think they need. And I always look at it as like we both, I think, are in the business of creating an environment that you think is better than the environment they might have or they've never seen before because always. we know better. Oprah always said, people like us, our job is to dream a bigger dream than somebody thought possible for themselves. Whether it's food, whether it's an environment, a restaurant, whether it's, you know, a home, whether it's fashion, you know, we're, we're meant to be the dreamers. We're meant to be, we're meant to be holding the space for people to dream a bigger dream. In our second course, Nate shares some hard-earned business lessons. One lesson is on the hidden economics of auctions. Burgess continues with what he learned from working with one of the most iconic TV personalities of our time. So I want to get back to uh, old and young, but at a young age, you started at an auction house and that's where just, it got me, it grabbed me, like at an auction house, you started at a very young age admiring vintage and old things. 
The auction house and living in Paris as an exchange student were the two moments for me that really ignited what it means to revel in the world that has come before us, revel in history, revel in old other cultures, revel in age and patina and story. Still to this day, 85 to 90% of what we put in a client's house is vintage, antique, reclaimed. We really, you know, it's funny, we really as a firm Never go to like the new showrooms unless we're buying fabric or wallpaper. But if I have the opportunity to buy something old for myself or on behalf of a client, I always pick it. And one, that's a really smart thing to do in design because obviously fine interior design knows no upper limits from a financial standpoint. But there's a resale value built into Mm -hmm. vintage and antique things. And I think all of that philosophy came from my first job at the auction house. You know, they say in in the, the auction business is the three Ds. It's fueled by death, divorce, and debt. And so I would watch these massive estates be unloaded and all these things that people would spend $20,000 on a sofa or, you know, $10,000 on a custom dining room table would sell for 400 bucks. And I couldn't believe that it was so wasteful. It really bugged me. And so when I started my firm, I I thought, well, if I'm going to buy a reproduction, I'm going to buy it at an auction for $400, not $20,000. And, and why, why are we even buying a reproduction? Why don't we find a, a 19th century French table that's the same size, and maybe it's $1,000, but 10 years from now it's worth $10,000. So there was a mathematical, philosophical lesson inherent in starting my career in design at auctions. And so you fill homes with value, not just furniture. 100%. Allison and Robbie is a great, our mutual friend. It took us two years to build that house for them in Tampa. By the time their house was ready to move in, and they're they're a great architect and a terrific contractor, and, you know, that's just how long it took. The things that they had bought 16 months prior with me to fill their home were worth so much more money than they paid that we actually went and looked at everything and said, should we keep all this? (laughs) <laughs> or should we sell some of this and buy paintings? You know, like, what, what, what are we doing here? And there were a couple pieces that we thought, you know, we can find, who cares about that thing? Like, you know, if, if that's what the market is right now on First Dibs or on at Sotheby's or Christie's, let's get rid of it. And they were game and, you know, we had a blast. But it was, you know, we've done that over and over and over with clients. And we're one of the very few design per- firms that actually will take our clients' things when they change their mind or move or they, you know, are done with something and we'll resell it for them online. And so, you know, I think that that's also a really important aspect of the business because, you know, a custom sofa is a custom sofa and you pay yep. for a good quality and you pay for yardage of yards and yards of fabric and you pay for the upholsterer's skill and the time and sorry like there's nothing you can do that's the price is the price but the end table and the lamps and the coffee table and the pair of chairs and all of that that could be worth something and should be worth something if you're doing it correctly how did that how did the transition from auction and you started your own company when you were 24 but how did you transition it seemed almost effortlessly, well, I, I sort of know the answer, but how did you transition into TV and why was TV such a, a magnificent place for you and is? So a couple of things. So I thought I had made it in Chicago. I had my design firm. I had a condo above the Saks building on Michigan Avenue. I had a Mercedes. I was like, I'm done. You know, I'm done. This is it. <laughs> I've surpassed my father. He's jealous, but also proud. Like we're in great shape, folks. There's nothing to see here. 
And my space in my, my Chicago office was on the first level of the, the art gallery district in, in, New York, in Chicago called River North. And I, I did that intentionally so that I could, you know, on the white walls, do a show or invite the community in, you know, occasionally. And so Greg Lauren, Ralph Lauren's nephew, who is a fashion designer and a good friend, he was dating Elizabeth Berkeley at the time and the actress and they, he's a painter. He wanted to do a show in Chicago. He had, had set up one in Santa Monica and one in New York City and wanted them to, to hit Chicago. And so we were connected by a friend and, and I decided to do this show. And one of Oprah's producers happened to come to the show. And everyone sort of asked me, oh, you're on Oprah, so that's how you get best-selling books and product lines and, you know, and all of this. And the answer is yes, exactly. That is exactly how you do that if you have the good fortune to be on Oprah. But I always remind people that I was on the Oprah show and I loved it every month, roughly, for 12 years. There's a lot of people that have been on that stage who have had that moment, who have basically had that opportunity, and they did it once. And some people did it three times. And the only reason I feel like I was able to stay and I worked with the same producers from my first segment to my last when the show ended at 25 years was that I always treated the show I was doing as the first show I had ever done there. My work ethic never changed. I was the last person to leave set. I didn't care that I was making all this money from publishing or making all this money from products and my business had grown and I, my, my companies had grown and I'd expanded in all these ways. If the flowers were dead, I went to the grocery store at 11 o'clock at night to replace the flowers and, and sometimes I slept on the floor of the location if I had to wait for paint to dry to hang pictures. And I did that from the first time I was on Oprah till the last time I was on Oprah. And I also never lied to Oprah, which, by the way, bad plan. Don't do it. If you ever have the opportunity to be with <laughs> Oprah, don't tell her bullshit. She's very, very smart. Yeah. So we had a good relationship. I honored the opportunity, and I was very strategic about how to use that opportunity to build my career. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. In our third course, Nate lays out his personal philosophy on design, from his thoughts on finding inspiration on social media to how he observes trends over decades and beyond. I think there's a lot of talent out there. You know, and, and I've never been threatened by that. I love seeing things. In fact, now when I'm, when I'm pulling ideas for a project, I'm on Instagram and I save them all in my phone in these little files based on the, the client and their project. And, and we don't rip off anything per se, but there's definitely launching points for floor plans or for materials, or we'll take the ceiling treatment from one image and combine it with the marble from Joseph Duran's bathroom. And we'll take the the bench that we saw at the end of that person's bed and, and use that, you know, in, in someone's entrance and, and recover that in, in a vintage textile. So it's all up for grabs, you know, it's, it's really up for grabs. And, and, and I think it's just a lot easier now um, using Instagram as a tool, especially to communicate with a client, to be able to say, let me just send this to you. Do you like this color you combination? Take, you should take, I remember we did like 30 years ago, it would take, it would take two to three weeks to put a deck together. You'd have, to, you'd have to like go take photos of stuff, and now it takes a half an hour. Yeah, I mean, putting those decks together, you know, was a nightmare of inspiration. I mean, you'd have to go through books. You'd, yeah. you'd literally have to go through books and take a picture of the book. You didn't have a phone. You'd Xerox the book. And <laughs> yeah. add, you know, it was it was it was it was it was harder than doing the job. You can't copyright design. You can't copyright recipes. That's just the way it is. And people are going to borrow, but everybody borrows. I think it's a richer world because we all borrow from one another. A hundred percent. It's so flattering when people borrow from us and from me. I, I'm, I go for it, guys. You know, like, and, and I borrow from people and references and things like that. Jean Royer, I can't tell yeah. you how many times I've copied the, the, the undulating upholstery detail that he's done, that he did originally, whether he did it originally or not. I had a big fight with Madeline Weinrib years ago because she, she owned ABC here in New York City. And I put ECOT prints on Home Shopping Network and she sent me a mean letter, or at Target, she sent me a mean letter. And I called her, I said, Madeline, you don't own ECOT. ECOT's been around, you, you're, you're, you look good. But you'd have to be 3,000 years old to own ECOT. So let's talk about this. Like, you're not, you don't have a lock on this pattern when that was a big trend. I said, yeah. anyone's, got, anyone's got the right. To, we've altered it, but anyone's got the right to use this motif. Where'd you find it? Because here's the books that I pulled mine Once out of. Once you let it go, it's gone. You, you, you got to let it go. And you know, I always tell people, like, I feel the same way. They can take as many recipes as they want from me. I'm like, I got a million more behind that. Right. Mm, help, you, help yourself. Help yourself. You know, it would be I nice agree. to say this is inspired by. Yeah. That would be nice. But, or you know, I made Jeffrey Zakarian's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Or this, so we you know, have... tag me on Instagram and say, I saw this room and we recreated it. You know, I, I love that stuff. Go for it. What is it that you call your sort of design philosophy? Is it lifestyle based? And what is people now, people here who hire you, what are they, what are they looking for? Is there like a, can you generalize what's happened 
from when you started 24 to what started now, yeah, what are people for sure. looking for? How has that changed? So I don't call it lifestyle at all. I, lifestyle is a word for me. That's like when you see my dear friend on Instagram, it drives me crazy. It's like a pet peeve. Ugh. I, I don't, yeah. And I used to like only use the word, an exclamation mark after the word fire, but I gave up on that because now everybody uses them. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I, lifestyle is like a, a meaningless ubiquitous word that, you know, whatever. I do think what's changed over the course of 25 years is that, you know, at the beginning, I just want to make money. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to get clients. I wanted to do a decent job. I didn't have any vendors. I didn't have any relationships. I was building, building, building. And I think, you know, what's changed now is that I, I, I would like to believe that people come to me not only to craft them a beautiful environment that's in great taste or, or you know, that, that, that they feel like they can trust my aesthetic and my listening skills to be able to capture their aspirational aesthetic. But more importantly, I think people come to me because they want to live in a place that feels storied and feels layered and feels assembled over time. Not a cookie cutter, fancy designer apartment or suburban home or vacation home that they're going to go to dinner at their friend's house that lives in the same area and they're going to see eight of the 10 same things that they've got in their friend's house. I've never done that. I've always crafted spaces specifically for the people who live there. I've never go back to the same resource, really. My hope is that at this stage, people know that I'm helping them assemble a collection of furniture and objects that tells their story, as opposed to just doing you know, a pretty job that has no character or personality. I find it really almost when I approach some things like I don't know what to do, like I, I, I want my restaurant to look like X, Y, Z, but I can't do it myself. I, it's a sense of vulnerability. I have all this taste and I have all this style, but I just don't know how to put it together. And you're actually acting almost like uh, almost like a psychologist in some way. Okay, we, we have all these pieces of your brain. They're really good at doing these other things. You just can't assemble what I know. I can put together what you know. We all know the same thing and what's pretty, but to put it together and make individual things that are eye-catching work together is very hard, and you have to sort of give up. Well, let's talk about that for a second, Jeffrey, because I think that's fascinating for a lot of creative people and people who aspire to do things on their own. I can't make a three-course meal to save my life. I don't know what temperature things should be. I can't follow a recipe in a cookbook. I can't do any of it. I, and I have a massive appreciation for something that's delicious, but I have no interest whatsoever in trying to figure out how to do it for myself. None. Rachel Ray's Perfect. tried to get me to do it. I can't do it. I mean, I, I, it's like weird. It's messy. Everything what? smells. It's dirty. I cooked on your show once. You weren't standoffish. It just it wasn't natural for you. I could care less. It wasn't natural for you. Do you remember that line in Goldie in Overboard with Goldie Hodge that I prepared and handled raw food? It doesn't sound like me. Like that's me. <laughs> couldn't couldn't care less. And couldn't be a bigger fan, but couldn't care less. But I, I will say this though. You know, what design really is, the alchemy of design, the alchemy of food, the alchemy of fashion or jewelry design or painting, what I've always viewed that to be, the, the sort of magic sauce is that it's all just about the references. When you're speaking about design ideas, you have to be speaking to somebody, all the ideas for a restaurant or the feeling you want to have. You have to be speaking to somebody who can catch the ball and throw it further visually for you to say, 
there was this place in France that was so unexpected. Let me just find it on my phone. Or what if we took how in Mexico, how everything is just built out of plaster and stucco. What if here, let me just, you know, look at this. And it's that interpretation of those design ideas paired with a life well lived, hopefully a life well traveled, or at least visually well traveled on online. And for me, that's the great distinction in design between uh, a designer, an AD100 designer, an Eldecor A-list designer, or an Instagram designer. You know, and there is a dis- there is a distinction when when young designers come to me and ask me what they what they should be doing to prepare for real world and design. I say I've said over and over, you're only as good as your references. You've got to dig deep and understand what was happening in Sweden in the 19th century, what was happening in Vienna at the turn of the century. You have to know what was going on in France in the 1950s. And and you don't have to be an expert in everything. No one can. But at least aesthetically, if something interests you, please dig deeper to understand the movement around it, the architecture around it, what was happening in fashion, what was happening in painting, what was happening in photography. Because if you don't have those references, you can't sell your own shit. It's so well said. And I believe that's the same for food. For me, the food is like fashion. It has a direct correlation to fashion every 25 years. You know, steak au poivre is fantastic again, right? All of a right. sudden, French bistos are like, oh, boom, we have an artichoke vinaigrette. What? Right. I mean, and weren't people sitting reading the preppy handbook eating steak au poivre? Like, exactly. that, you know, it's a massive That's trend. Now. And you can just see it because I used to work with all these people who came to my restaurant, Vogue and Anna Winter, and yep. the trend of the fashion was the same. So I'm sure now... What's trending now was trending 25 years ago in some form or another. And it hundred percent. And it must follow interior design as well, no? A hundred percent. In fact, it's funny. My husband is 12 years younger than me, which, you know, sends me to the dermatologist about every three hours. But he, 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 his references, what he thinks is fresh is very like what I grew up with in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll look at stuff. We design a collection for living spaces together, of furniture. We, we're working on another massive deal with an American retailer right now together. And so it's really interesting because he'll show me stuff that he thinks is like revolutionary. And I'm like, oh, my grandmother had it at her condo in, in <laughs> you know, in Florida. So, you know, there is something in between. And I look at like yes. what if you look at like what the young people are wearing around the streets of New York City right now, it's all like. Jacquemus, this French brand, which looks like Courage looked like to us when, yeah. you know, and it's just, it, and, and, and in design, even the textiles, mohair, you know, Missoni, like all of that stuff, even in home, it's, it's back. And, you know, I couldn't look at that stuff. Pastels, pastels. I mean, my mother redid the house 700 times when I was growing up. I lived through every trend. And it's probably why I'm so anti-trend. It, it's fascinating. And it's, you're 100% right. Steak au poivre and a white linen sofa, man. It, it, we are back. Are we back? Is that where, where are we are architecturally, interior design-wise? Is there a, is something you're seeing, even though you hate seeing it, you're noticing it. You don't want to look at it, but you can't help but noticing everybody is doing what? When I was growing up, the rich people in the Twin Cities built a house in the 1980s with like a curved section and a yes. boxy situation. And that's what was fancy then. And I just bought the same house in Montauk in the 1980s. Built, and it looks great again to me. So, wow. you know, that, if anything is not a better example, I've only lived in old homes, old apartments, old homes my whole mm-hmm. life. 
And now I, my, our beach house is this 1980s house that could have been in Minnetonka, Minnesota, that I would have gone to a play date after school. <laughs> Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. In our fourth and final course, Nate and I discuss lifestyle. Our conversation weaves from cultural history to what makes his neighborhood so alluring, and even what it's like to work with his husband. But Nate begins by explaining his surprising choice for his all-time favorite restaurant. My favorite restaurant in the world, you know, not just in the continental United States. My favorite restaurant in the world is the State Fair of Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Corn dogs, baby. Oh, man. Corn dogs and, and mini donuts that drop into a paper bag filled with cinnamon and sugar. And, and Minnesota and corn cold. with Lando Lakes butter. Lando Lake. Did you have fried butter? I, you know what? I drew the line at fried butter because I thought <laughs> by, by, I'm almost 50. I'll be 50 next year. But I thought fried butter, if I actually go up and wait in a line and say, Can, may I have two fried butters, please? Then that is the bullet train for, to me waiting, weighing like 650 pounds. So, so fried what, butter was the only thing that didn't sound good. So when you were growing up, who was cooking and what was on fire? It sounds like family was very important. Was there a sit down? You had to sit down. And obviously when you were sitting down, you were checking out the height of the table and the chair to make sure that was correct. Right. But were you sitting every meal and what were you eating? You know, yeah. You know what? It was Jeffrey, the truth is a great cultural food history of my family was lost with my grandparents. My grandmother, when I was a boy, we would go to her house for dinner every Saturday night. And she was an excellent cook. 
I mean, she she was an excellent, excellent cook, and it was sort of traditional Ashkenazi, Jewish, you know, all that stuff that I still love to this day. Noodle kugel and all those things that you make out of small sliced, thinly sliced potatoes and pot roast and any of that. So, you know, those that was the food culture of my childhood was the like Jewish food. And I still crave it. If I if I see like sort of amenable looking, sort of friendly looking Jewish lady, I'll ask her to make me a kugel. But my mother was not interested. My stepmother was very, very nutritious growing up. Her her mother was part of Shackley, the big vitamin company. So we oh. we had carob instead of chocolate. We were there was food combining principles. There was all this business on that side of the family. But my mother like didn't care. You know, she was working. She was dressed well. She wasn't interested in cooking, and uh, I didn't care either because I didn't know any differently. But I would say, you know, it was my grandparents, my step my stepfather's mother, and my mother's mother who would turn out the table, set out the silver. We would eat beautifully. That's where we were taught our manners. That's where we had things that still to this day, if I close my eyes, I can taste it. You know, it just okay. was so delicious. The best memories are the memories you can, you, the food memories, right? It's like this 100%. thing. 100%. Oh, my God. It's this thing that you can get a whiff of an onion and it just brings you right back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know, I, I, have you designed a restaurant? No, not, not really. I mean, we have dabbled like consulting over the years, but no, I've never sat down and crafted an environment around better or fine dining, you'd, which is you'd interesting. You'd be amazing at it. You'd be amazing at it because your, your love of the way people flow, how they flow would be just fantastic because Restaurants all flow, babe. It's just everything. It's everything yeah. you're talking about. It's how the how you flow through your life. Yeah, and I mean, I definitely am interested in the moments that people share. I, I really have always been fixated in the, on that. I uh, that's why I design well. I think because I'm I'm really putting myself in other people's shoes, how they wish to be perceived, how they you know what the what the space. Want, what, how they wish to feel in the space, and I think listen, it's one of the great luxuries in life is to go to a wonderful restaurant and have a beautiful meal with people that you love and hear the laughter and, you know, and it's, it's really, it's why we moved back to New York City. You know, it was that culture was so missing for us in Los Angeles. Obviously, there's beautiful places to go have dinner and, and we had those dinners and, and breakfasts and things like that in L.A., but there's nothing like our life here in New York City in the West Village where, you know, we, we decide four minutes before we leave the house with two kids under six that we're just going to go to this place and, and sit and have bolognese, and it's awesome. So if you're, if you're in the village, what is your version of the village now as to when you first laid eyes on your first house? What, well, what has changed for you there? <clears throat> Not a lot. I'm happy to report. It's got the same exact... I always wanted to live surrounded by something that would be delightful visually. And, you know, that, that's why I took to Paris and had an apartment there for many years. That's why I like the water. You know, I like a lake house or the beach kind of vibe. But the West Village for me, it's like it makes me laugh every time I walk out my front door that I get to live in the United States in an area that's so old and so protected and so charming. I love the neighborhood. Like, I sound like Jerry Seinfeld, but like, I have such a deep connection, not to all of New York City, but to that part of New York City. I just feel lucky. I feel grateful. I, I feel like it, 
you know, post-pandemic, a lot of young people are moving back into the neighborhood. We see the moving vans now with moving in instead of moving out. And there's an energy, even though everybody's, you know, primarily masked up still. It's, there's a street culture and there's a restaurant culture and there's, you know, there's a, there's an energy and a spontaneity. I, I say that only because I know it so well. I lived on 70 Perry Street for about four years. Yep. And I used to sit on the stoop for hours and watch people. We do that with our kids. And they, do not, they just sit and yep. watch people. Yep. And, and I'll run downstairs light, and grab something to drink or I'll run and grab yeah. Cheerios for my son. And, but we just hang out. And the way the light hits the trees and the corners of the street, how they're angled, there's so much perpendicular action going on Yep. that there's this incredible lightness of being all the time that you totally. can't, can't describe. You can't find it in another neighborhood. And that's no. why I stay for so long. How is it working with your husband? How do you... Figure that out, because it's hard. You know, it is. We don't fight about design. It's really interesting. We can fight to the death, near death, about so many other things. But for some reason with design, we both have a free pass to be completely unconcerned about how the other person is going to receive a statement or an opinion or information. And I think maybe it's because we both do it or maybe because we're not really that ego driven. Maybe it's because as people, maybe it's because we both know that there's not one right way to assemble a space. There's not, there's Mm -hmm. never been one right way to, 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 to do something in design. So, you know, if he eats the last piece of pizza without saying to me, like, do you want half of this? We're like at like at, at Judge Judy that afternoon. Like the fight that comes out, it's like you know it, it, if I'm like stepping on his underwear, it, you know, mm-hmm. in the bathroom, and he just couldn't make it that foot to the hamper. That's another you know I'm pissed off for like seven hours. Design, we can produce the shows that we do. We can do the makeovers that we do on television, which we love. We can design the collections that we work on together. And also, you know, we're, we're, we're back on HGTV now for the yeah, first great. time in a, in a big way. And, and we're trying, we're, we're building something together now. And so the truth is, it's just smart business as it is for you yeah. to just pick your battles. And, and, you know, I respect him and I know he respects me. I really respect his perspective. I, I, I believe in him as a designer. I believe in his knee-jerk reaction. I like his instinct. In, in many ways, he's, I've, I've gone to bat about something. I hated something. I didn't think it was the right decision for one of our homes. And he said, I'm doing it anyway. And, and it comes in and I'm wrong. And I love being wrong. Because it's, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and, and, and I have a very open environment with my, with my employees. It's always the best idea at the table wins. It's a little bit different when you're, you know, wiping some, your kid's butt and talking about producing the show and, you know, figuring out when your parents are coming to visit and juggling all the things that families deal with. But, but I, I think at the end, I, we just like each other. We like, we like doing this stuff together. Plus, it's they don't call it makeover. I tell people like they're always so. How do I? How do I do it? You make it look so easy. How do, how do you cook? How do you get it like this? I'm like, if you make a mistake, you just eat it. It's fine. <laughs> if you choose the wrong paint color, you just paint the wall again. Hundred percent. Right? Well, listen. I mean, that's the whole like that's yet another life philosophy. You know, made by man, fixed by man. I mean, we, I know, and I've had really high strung clients who get really worked up very quickly. And, you know, at 49 years old, it's just not my perspective anymore. I, I, I just will say to them, you guys, I'm not replacing your kidney. Like 
Yes, it came in broken. And yes, we waited a long time for it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to fix it. And then it'll be delivered. And then everything will be fine. But I'm, I'm protective over emotion. I'm protective over that. Yep. I'm protective with my team. I'm, you know, I, I, I don't like it. There's not a lot of space for it, for, for elevation in, in design or in food to me personally. How is it when you get a first-time client that really hasn't hired someone as higher level, high, it was never hired someone like yourself, that, that level, they've done it themselves the whole, I can imagine it'd be a nightmare. They've done it themselves their whole life. They think they know best. And someone said, please hire Nate to do this. It will be the way you want it to be. It'll be the way you never could do it that you've been trying for 25 years to do. <laughs> what happens in that scenario? Well, they've got to want it, you know, to sign on the dotted line and pay the deposit They've got to have wanted it on some level. It's like so, veneers. They're getting veneers, right? You've got to go through the pain. you got to do it, or Botox. I mean, preserving the peace, preserving an environment that, that promotes creativity and, and fun. I like to enjoy myself. I like to have a good time with my clients. I like my staff to have a good time. I don't like to have those clients in the roster where no one wants to return the email or you see yeah. their number and everybody's <laughs> like, oh, man, oh, no. And luckily, I've been pretty decent at, at calling that out in, a, in an initial interview. Like, this, this isn't the culture for us to be a part of because it's not really how we roll. It's not what we love. It's not, it's not going to make the space for us to do a great job. But, you know, it's happened over the years, of course. And I think, I think everything can be solved through conversation. You know, I think you've got it. You can't be fear-based. You also have to know your stuff. You have to be able to defend your stuff. But I have fired clients that I've said to them, you know, guys, this isn't working. You're spending all this money and I know you're not having a good time. And guess what? I'm not either. And, you know, the truth is, is that this shouldn't be about this. I don't know if it's because you, you don't trust this process or you don't trust me or this is just kind of how you move through the world. Whatever it is, there's no judgment attached to this. But I'm not interested in participating. You know, either we can do it this way, which... You know, we've done this now for X number of years and, and this system really works. Or I wish you well, you know, like I, 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 and, and I'm sure you'll find, you know, somebody that, that wants to work under this kind of paradigm that you've created. I don't. And I don't want my team working for them either because we can, we can design three spaces and laugh the whole time or 90% of the time. Or we can spend the exact same amount of time designing one space begrudgingly. It's just not worth it. You're a class act, Mr. Burkus. Thank you, thank Jeffrey. You for, As are you. Thank you for taking time. Really, really thank you for taking time. I could speak two hours, but I only have an hour, which kind of sucks. But maybe we'll get you back one day. I have Let's a whole, do it again. another list of questions I did not, more technical stuff that I'm fascinated to get in that mind of yours. But I appreciate your time. It's my great pleasure. It's great to see you. Thanks very much for listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian, a production of iHeartRadio and Corner Table Entertainment. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. Four Courses is created by Jeffrey Zakarian, Margaret Zakarian, Jarrett Keller, and Tara Halper. Four Courses is produced by Jonathan Hawes Dressler. Our research is conducted by Jessalyn Shields. Four Courses is engineered by Molly Swanson. Our talent booking is by Pamela Bauer at Dogtown Talent. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.